This episode of Truth Table is brought to you by InterVarsity Press, whose vision is to catalyze redemption, restoration, and revival in our divided and broken world. Follow IVP on Twitter at IVPress and visit IVP's website at www.ivpress.com. This table is built by Black women and for Black women. So welcome to the table, C. How you doing, girl? I am doing okay on this day. How are you doing? Okay. I'm good. <laughs> you know, I'm good. We're in the land of the living, so this is hey, that's a good thing. Listen. <laughs> listen. This is this, oh. this COVID-19 season really does make you uh, grateful for each day. Uh, new mercies, right? So, for um, yeah, it's, it's it's helping to get some things reoriented in my mind in life. How about you? I'm telling you, I'm I'm, I'm it's, it's helping me get my priorities straight. You How know, get it together, <laughs> get it together. You know, it, it also makes me really, really appreciative of, uh, you know, just like Instagram battles and come on now, yes, <laughs> ama- and amazing television that kind of snaps into our own stories, right? Things that inspire oh, us. You know, there's mm-hmm. there's one movie in particular that's oh. been, a, been a 2020 blessing. So oh. I think you know which street I'm going down. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That movie, um, the Clark <laughs> Sisters, First Ladies <laughs> of Gospel. That's right. That's on the table, y'all. This <sighs> is our first ever behind the movie. I know. Episode. Oh, no, this is the first, like truth tables coming up, y'all. Truth tables coming up. Recognize, okay? <laughs> Recognize, right. y'all. It is our behind the movie episode, and we are honored to have the director Christine Swanson at the table and the writer, okay, of the Clark Sisters First Lady of Gospel, Camille Tucker. They are at the table. Oh my goodness! Hey, y'all. Hey. We're so glad to have you. I- Hello. Yes, they are here at the table. And oh, my goodness. First of all, let me tell you who they are. Let me read off there. Yes. Let let them know. Let them know. We need to let y'all know what time it is. Okay. And who is at the table. So (laughs) first up, okay, let me tell y'all about Camille. Okay. Camille Tucker. She is a writer, director, producer who has sold scripts to major studios such as Sony, Universal, New Line Cinema, Fox TV, and Disney, and has worked with producers such as Robert De Niro, uh, Jane Rosenthal. Stacey Snyder, Mark Platt, Deborah Chase, and the late John Singleton. Growing up in Compton, Camille's father was the mayor and a dentist, and her mother was an educator. At age seven, the Montessori school she attended burned down, and she was uh, bused to private schools, Chadwick School in Palos Verdes, California. Feeling trapped between two worlds, she escaped through sci-fi and fantasy short stories, but disparaged the lack of black faces in them. Yet reading the works of fierce black women writers such as Gwendolyn Brooks and Tozaki Shang, Maya Angelou, Toni Morrison, of course, uh, Octavia Butler, that ignited her and she began to write poetry, plays, songs, and finally, after graduating from UCLA while working as an assistant at Disney Studios, she be- 
began to write screenplays. Camille holds an MFA in screenwriting from Loyola Marymount University and an MA in theology and film from Fuller Seminary. In 2019, Camille was honored to be a finalist and the drama alternate in the prestigious Disney ABC TV Writing Fellowship. In 2018, she was one of 11 filmmakers selected in the Producers Guild of America Power of Diversity Workshop. Camille, the proud co-writer of Lifetime's hit biopic, The Clark Sisters, the First Ladies of Gospel, directed by Christine Swanson, starring Emmy-nominated actress Anjanou Ellis and executive produced by Queen Latifah, Mary J. Blige, Missy Elliott, and Holly Carter. The movie debuted on Lifetime with 2.7 million followers and is the highest-rated Lifetime movie since 2016 and is the highest rated original movie of 2020 to date is it has had over 11 million viewers welcome to the table camille my goodness thank you on (laughs) push through okay push through okay now if that ain't enough if that ain't (laughs) enough y'all we have christine swanson the director at the table okay and let me just let y'all know what she be doing okay now christine (laughs) she is a detroit native visionary storyteller and a multi multiple award-winning filmmaker. Christine Swanson earned her MFA in film from New York University's Tisch School of Arts, one of the nation's top-ranked graduate film programs. CNN identified Christine as one of the most promising filmmakers to emerge from NYU's graduate film program since Martin Scorsese, Ang Lee, Oliver Stone, and Spike Lee, Christine's NYU directing teacher, by the way. Uh, Christine also earned a Bachelor of Arts degree from the University of Notre Dame, double major, double majoring in communications in Japanese. Come on, Christine. I love this. Okay. Christine has developed, written, and directed movie projects for various companies, including HBO Films, Magnolia Pictures, State Street Pictures, TV One, and Faith Filmworks, her own independent film company. Christine has written and directed numerous award-winning features, television episodes, commercials, and short films in her career. Some of her award-winning titles include Two Seasons, winner of HBO's short film competition, Sundance Selection as well, All About You, winner audience uh, choice award, Chicago International Film Festival, Grand Jury Prize, Hollywood Black Film Festival, Festival Award at the Pan-African Film Festival, and the Film of the Year Award at Santa Barbara's um, African Heritage Film Series, starring Renee Elise Goldsbury, Teron Brooks, and Debbie Allen. All About Us, invited to uh, the prestigious Heartland Film Festival, the Chicago International Film Festival, and the Cannes Festival de Film Pan-African. Starring Boris Kojo, Ryan Beth, and Ruby D. And Woman Thou Art Loosed, okay? Starring Kimberly Elise and Loretta Devine. In 2015, Christine received an NAACP Image Award nomination for Outstanding Directing mm-hmm. in a Television Motion Picture for The Love of Ruth. Christine also directed three original cable movie premieres for TV, one entitled To Hell and Back. Uh, starring Ernie Hudson and Vanessa Bell Calloway for The Love of Ruth. Starring Denise uh, Booth, Loretta Devine, Gary Dorden, and James Pickens Jr. 
I used to go to church with James Pickens. That's a fun fact. I'm sorry. Okay. And love under, manage, <laughs> under new management. Uh, the Mickey Howard story starring Tiana Paris, Darius McCrary, and Gary Dorden, which broke network ratings as the most watched original movie in network history. Recently, Christine directed episodes of Chicago PD and FBI for Dick Wolf Films. Her episode of Chicago PD was rated the best episode of season six. Christine also recently directed the highly anticipated Clark Sisters, the first ladies of gospel for uh for a and e networks welcome to the table christine swanson thank you we are giving yes y'all done did all the things okay (laughs) you know you know i i believe firmly in the expression to give folks their roses while they yet live you know and so so we 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 take our time and we do these roll calls of experiences because it matters. <laughs> it right. matters. Uh, all the work that people have done. And I know in every one of those accolades, there is a story of uh, perseverance and creativity behind it. So welcome to the table, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Man, so we are we are honored uh, to have y'all. y'all. I mean, I mean, I guess the first question, there's so many questions I have, but my goodness, I mean, the Clark sisters, the first ladies of gospel, I mean... First and foremost, how do y'all feel about the reception mm-hmm. of the movie? How do you feel? Like, did it meet your expectations? Did it exceed your expectations? Did it fall below your expectations? How do you feel about the reception of the movie? Let me, um, this is Camille. I'll just say, yes. I feel saturated in love and I'm still processing, mm. but I feel saturated in love by mm. audiences. Um you know, people talk about box office or numbers or ratings or whatever, but it's not really about that for me as an artist. Right. It's, am I connecting with an audience? Do people mm. get what's in my heart? And um, I'll pass it on to Christine. <laughs> I feel saturated. Um, when we were making the movie, um, uh, personally, as a, and personally as a filmmaker, you don't think about um, the outcome because once you do that, it, to me, it, it, it um, poisons the process, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, I think a lot of us were surprised by the extraordinary um, response. And for me personally, it's, it's, it was overwhelming and, and, and completely um, from left field. Um, not, and not because, mm-hmm you know, people shouldn't have responded the way that they did. It's, it was just, a, it was a, a labor of love that took time and blood, sweat and tears. Yeah. And um, sometimes you just don't know like how it's going to go out into the world. Mm. And I, I often say that's not our business. That's up to God. Mm. Like, mm. Um, many ways God spoke. Come yeah. On. Well, I'm going to tell you what, I think that that, that outlook of um, being in the moment and engaged in the process and not knowing what the outcome will be. I can see how that can, that can free you up to really create instead mm. of worrying or predicting what's next. So I, I'll take that as a nugget, a nugget of wisdom <laughs> for, for all of us to listen to right. at this time. I am curious, I think about the mechanics of the, I guess the writing in the movie, the movie making pieces of mm. this. And so I know we'll have folks that are listening in black women who are creatives in their own right. And we'll be really interested to know how did you how did you come to this how did how did you find yourself um, in making movies um, directing movies what what's your backstory and and Christine if you go first I'd love to hear a little bit about how you got to this place. 
Well, you mean particularly with this project? Um, well, in general, I think, um, yeah, yeah this, so if, you know, I one of my youngest kids is, is nine years old and I'm thinking, you know, did you have a story at nine of being interested in in no. movies, in the arts? Yeah, so I'm, I'm curious about your backstory. Well, not at all. And, um, you know, I feel like uh, I look at young kids now and you got 10, 13, 15-year-olds who have already decided that they want to be directors and, mm. and writers, and, and that's great and all. But um, <laughs> if they ask me for advice, what I'd like to tell them is um, live life. You got to live life so you have something to say. And always working on the perfunctory part of the craft, to me, is going to limit your ability to be um, artistically drawn to the craft. And ultimately, you can learn the technical perfunctory part. What you cannot learn is talent. What you cannot learn is uh, um the joy of having stories mm. you that need to be birthed because you have nothing to say, you know? So I dare say, as I was growing up in Detroit, I, I thought nothing about film. I thought nothing about art. I thought nothing mm. about telling, but instead I live life. I was a very, very observant child. Mm. Um, I grew up in Korea until I was six years old. And when I came to America, couldn't speak English. And then um, my parents divorced and my black single black father raised mm. me and my brother, retired from the military, moved me to Detroit. So I just learned English like a year or two ago. And then when I landed in Detroit, I'm, I'm like, what are these black kids speaking? Mm. I, I, it was like a dialect that I'd right, never right. It was slang and or Ebonics. Yes, so yes. Because, because I wasn't conversant in the language, I did not talk for years. You know, I was just talking to my aunt on Mother's Day and she was like, yeah, you were always quiet and you were always casing the joint. Always. So I would just say like the the, the, the skill set and the tools that, that I got that led me into storytelling really were ones of observation and absorption. And nobody needs a degree to do that. Nobody needs to go to school to to observe mm. and and discover um, what what your voice is, what your desires are, what your yeah. hopes are, what mm. your dreams are, because all of that comes out in storytelling if you listen to your own quiet spirit. Mm. Mm, thank you for that, Camille. What would you say? Um, well, it's interesting because some of my story is in my bio. But um, as a writer, um, words are very important to me. My mother actually is a writer, and my mother wanted to be an actress. And my mother said that at the time she went to college, which, by the way, she went to Fisk University in Nashville, uh, Tennessee, and so did mm -hmm. my sister. Yes. And uh, so I have a few. Uh, yeah, I got some HBCUs up in there. Mm. Howard, my brother, <laughs> my dad, my Harry. Hey, they um, matter. My, <laughs> my mother. Yep. They, my mother said that there were no opportunities for black actresses at that time. Mm -hmm. And even when she started to write, she felt it sort of hard to break barriers. My father, as I mentioned in my bio, was a dentist and he was kind of a civic leader. And my mother was an educator, but she had this creative dream 
she was always writing. I remember from the time I was a little girl, my mother on those days, okay, you guys, I'm dating myself. They had typewriters. <laughs> but I remember my mother pecking away at the typewriter and mm. drinking her coffee and smoking her cigarette, which she shouldn't have been smoking around me. But, and just looking at her and wondering, what is she doing? You know, she had a passion and there are four children in my family and women, as she explains at that time, weren't really encouraged. It was okay to be a teacher or maybe like a secretary, but to Mm -hmm. be an actress, especially if you're married to someone who's in the medical profession, that's crazy. You're not going to go out there in Hollywood or you're not going to go out there and sell books or write scripts or what have you. So I think I really got a love and reverence for the written word from her. And when I was in middle school and high school, then it started to turn into theatrics. And I actually wanted to be an actress. From the time I was young, my mother was always pushing me into creative things. And I guess she saw that spark in me and thought that maybe I might have a better opportunity to fulfill those dreams than she had had. Um, But I switched over from acting when I was at UCLA to writing. And I remember I submitted a a group of of a collection of my poems for a contest at UCLA and I won best undergraduate female poet. And I was sitting there looking and they posted, they used to post things in those days, you know, wasn't always email. But when they posted the result that I had Mm -hmm. won Best Undergraduate Female Poet, which also had a $500 cash prize, may I say, okay, (laughs) for an undergraduate, I was sitting there, (laughs) I was feeling the love of our ancestors and all of the Black women poets that I had read that changed my world when I didn't know if I had a voice or if I could say anything. And I remember I was just flooded with tears. And that was when writing and the idea that the words that came out of me could possibly touch someone or change someone Mm -hmm. or cause someone to think just became such a profound moment for me. And I never turned back from writing since then. Um, And so I think I became a director by um, even though I don't, you know, in terms of this film, that's nothing, but I'm a writer and director, but out of necessity, because I wanted to visualize the things that I write. But um, mm. but one thing I wanted to do when I made up my mind is that I would always tell stories that featured Black women and people of color, and that I wanted to see them doing things that we don't normally get to see them doing. Mm. So that was a, a big thing in, in my heart. And I, I'm still trying to do that today, you know. So. Wow. Wow. Thank you. You you both have just um, very dynamic um uh, stories, you know, about how, uh, or journeys, I should say, about how you, uh, got to where you are and what, and, um, how it is that you do what you do. And I'm, I'm, I'm curious that I'm one thread that seems to, uh, be, um, to, to be, um, consistent between both of your journeys is just um the faith element uh you know uh christine you mentioned how you know that you you don't want to muddy the process the process by thinking about the reception you know of Mm -hmm. of the project and just just going in 
working on the project and just letting God, you know, and just seeing where God, like the results are just up to God. Right. Um, and then even in your story, Camille, just talking about, uh, just even your own journey and you even went to a, a, a theology school and I, I'm just curious about how your faith, um, informs your, your approach to directing, uh, and to writing and, um, and what that looks like and, and, and to be a person of faith and, uh, and, and be it called to what you're called to do. Cause I, I see it as a calling to be quite honest, uh, what you do. And so how, how is it that you steward that? Um, and how does that, um, uh, come forward in your work? Well, for me personally, um, I, I do see the correlation between mm-hmm. my work as a storyteller and, um, and a specific calling by God to do that. Mm-hmm. Not in a, um, like a hoity-toity, like, ooh, I'm called God kind of way. Not like that at all. In fact, it's a very um, nuanced, humbling position um, to uh, maneuver and not always knowing um, what direction to go in. It's about just listening and see where, where God is in the process and where God wants to put me. And in many ways, um, I was on a TV directing trajectory when I got the call to interview for the Clark sisters and many of my colleagues expressed to me that, you know, you know, you're on a, you're on a great path to be like a TV director. Don't jump the process, that process to direct a lifetime movie, you know? And Mm. I I just remember thinking like, it didn't matter to me that it was lifetime. I didn't see that. All I saw was, it's the Clark sisters, you know? Right. And I remember telling that to my colleague. I'm like, but it's the Clark sisters. And like that person not understanding that. And then this is a valuable lesson that I learned there. Sometimes when God has called you to do something, it is not up to you to confer with others that God did not include in the conversation. Uh-oh, so, come on now, preach that word. <laughs> when, um, when I interviewed for the job, I, I just I just felt like I needed to go all out to try to get this job because um, as I look back on it now, um, I looked at it as a specific assignment mm. from God. Mm. Like I just, that's the only way that I can look at it. Like it was a missional assignment to make sure the movie was done well and was done um, with the kind of honor and legacy um, building that the Clark sisters deserved. And the fact that I was, a filmmaker from Detroit um, particularly drew me to this as well. And I just don't believe in that kind of coincidence. I do believe God orchestrated all of that and everything that I do is divinely orchestrated in that respect. And at a certain point, I also was enrolled at Fuller Theological Seminary because of my strong desire to connect my storytelling with theology. Um, just over time, I haven't been able to commit um, to the studies, but mm-hmm. it does not wane in any way my understanding and my desire to do things um, in, in a specifically God-ordained way, whatever that looks like. It, every time it looks different. So I've given up trying to um, contain or frame mm. that spiritual journey looks like. And instead, it's really... Um, um, a perspective that requires submission and obedience and um, following the path that God's put me on, which uh, for me has taken well over 25 years. And 15 of those years I took off 
to raise my children. And I know that was specifically God ordained too. So now that he's bringing me back to work, um, you know, on certain projects and whatnot, I always look for the God angle. Yeah. yeah. Because in the end, that's all that really matters. Like in the end, you look back at the Clark sisters and you can say, oh, this is what God was doing. Mm. And I was just an instrument of his divine orchestration. And I just feel like that's how I um, want to live my life. Um, even though you don't have the specific, um, you see God, God is like, um, he, he gives you revelations in part, you know, in part and you understand in part, but in the end, he gives you the revelation when he wants to. So our job is to be busy, um, doing whatever it is that he's called us, um, no matter how hard and, um, no matter how, um, unclear, um, with the specific gifts that I've been endowed with, you know, I know how to write and direct a movie. So that part is not that unclear. Um, What may be unclear is what, what God is doing in terms of his purpose and in terms of the outcome that comes as a result of this. So what we see in the Clark sisters is an extraordinary outcome um, that, that has gone above and beyond even my own expectations. But specifically what I'm seeing is how people have been affected um, in, in a very deeply profound way that I could not have anticipated and how all these different discourses and conversations are happening relating to the Clark sisters, relating to their musical mm-hmm. genius, relating to the role of patriarchy in the black church, relating to um, how a specific form of music was created by Maddie Moss Clark that has affected mm-hmm. gospel singing even till t- today. Who knew that this could be possible and who knew that these conversations would be so enriching and encouraging but god right right it's a totally a god thing my goodness Mm -hmm. you know what well why don't we take a break and uh so we can pay some bills and when we (laughs) Back. We're going to hear from Camille and she's going to talk to us about how her own faith uh, informs her work as a writer. So stay tuned, y'all. Here at Truth Table, we've made a subversive and even explicit defense of the faith and the gospel against the question that many of our peers have about whether Christianity is the white man's religion. And now there is a new book out by Dr. Antipas L. Harris entitled, Is Christianity the White Man's Religion? How the Bible is Good News for People of Color. Among young people of color, there is a growing wariness about organized religion and Christianity in particular. They're looking for a faith that makes sense for the world they see around them. The question that arises, is evangelical Christianity good news for everyone or a tool of white supremacy? In his new book, Is Christianity the White Man's Religion? Antipas L. Harris, a theologian and community activist, responds to young Americans who struggle with the perception that Christianity is detached from matters of justice, identity, and culture. He affirms that ethnic diversity has played a powerful role in the formation of the Old and New Testaments and that the Bible is a book of justice promoting equality for all. Author Antipas L. Harris is the president and dean of Jake's Divinity School, founded by Bishop T.D. Jakes, and serves on the pastoral staff at 
the Potter's House in Dallas, Texas. And just for our sisters at the table and for the brothers in the standing room section, Truth Table listeners can save 40% off of Is Christianity the White Man's Religion by Dr. Antipas L. Harris when you order at ivypress.com using promo code TRUTH20. The offer expires on September 30th. That's promo code TRUTH20 when you order Is Christianity the White Man's Religion at ivypress.com. Don't forget to tell them Truth Table said to you by using the code TRUTH20. We are back. You know, it is just so abundantly clear to me that y'all were anointed and appointed, okay, to do uh, this movie. And so I'm just curious to hear from you, Camille, about how your own faith uh, informs your work as a writer, also as a director and a producer as well. Yeah, thank you. So what's so interesting, first, let me tell you, part of the reason that Christine and I are here was because when I saw your review, I saw that you sisters were seminarians. Yes. And I was like, oh, we need to talk to them. <laughs> um, because as you mentioned, I went to Fuller Seminary. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing about me is that while my father was an associate pastor in the Baptist church, I really didn't have a faith of my own growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, my mother actually came to Christ or like rededicated herself to Christ later in life. So, you know, mothers are often nurtured. So I really didn't have that faith of mm-hmm. my own. And it wasn't until my experience as as a screenwriter in the entertainment industry that I actually ended up finding Christ and coming to him later in life after some um, career crisis. Because Mm. early in my career, I sold Mm. a number of screenplays that did not get made. A lot Mm. of people don't know sometimes the studios will buy scripts that don't get made. And when this kept happening to me and I was selling to huge studios and it was all in the trades and all of the splashy stuff, it really brought me to my knees and frustration and going, why are these movies not getting made? Hmm. And so I was in the entertainment industry and my story is I pulled out of the entertainment industry and had sort of a Moses backside of the desert experience in my life where I was wandering and searching and trying to understand God, I thought you called me to be a writer. I thought that this was what you had planned for me, but I don't believe that this is what I'm supposed to do anymore. And I remember my father, when he um, died from cancer, was actually attending Fuller Seminary. And through a series of circumstances and just looking back and trying to make meaning of life, I Googled God and movies because I was trying to see what is the connection between God and this thing I love. And this professor at Fuller Seminary popped up who was writing all about the intersection between faith and film. Mm -hmm. And so that was how I ended up at Fuller Seminary. And my degree is in theology and film. And what I want to say is that for me in my training, what I learned was that a movie is not a sermon. A film Mm -hmm. is not a sermon. Mm -hmm. So what what came to me in my training and in my Mm -hmm. approach is that Many Christian filmmakers or filmmakers who love God, they're believers in Christ, they're approaching their filmmaking as a sermon. You are supposed to go there. You're (laughs) supposed to hear a message Mm -hmm. and see Mm -hmm. people go through certain things. Mm -hmm. They accept Jesus and everything in their life becomes perfect. 
And then it's the end of the movie. <laughs> and that's not how life is. Not at all. Mm-hmm. And also mm-hmm. one thing I learned from a professor and mentor is that we process art and we process like cognitive thinking or didactic thinking from a different side of our brain. So you can't really enjoy the art. And we see that in a lot. And I'm just no shade to like Christian filmmakers. But one complaint that a lot of people have is that the aesthetic is there, not there. Um, the acting is poor. The sets are poor. You know, it's almost like we just wanted you to get the message. We don't care about anything else. Right. So what became important to me was like the artistry of the words or the story that I'm telling. And in the Old Testament, even when you see when they were building um, the Ark of the Covenant, when they were building um, the temple, God's instructions were very clear. And the most precious, finest elements and ingredients were used to create God's beauty. And that became so profound to me when I was hip to that, that that was what I wanted to do with my work. I did not want to go in with an agenda that you have to get a certain message. And I think one thing you'll see, if anything, I feel like I contributed in my part of the Clark sisters was that you were going to see their lives and it was not going to say you need to accept this message or you need to come to Jesus or you need to whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that I'm, I'm really grateful for Christine and the way she interpreted the work because I feel like she's a sister scribe or you could say or a <laughs> sister artist or whatever in that mm-hmm. sense because of her talent, her artistry, even elevating what was already there. Mm. But the idea was that you are to explore and experience what these women are authentically going through, Mm. um, rather than an agenda or trying to be pushed on you or a sermon be pushed on you. And one word I heard a lot, and I I don't want to take up too much time, but um, was authentic in a lot of the Twitter comments and a lot of, and that warmed my heart because that was the thing, authenticity. I think people's personal lives and stories and testimonies are what hit us and what meet us at the core. And if Mm -hmm. anything that I could be a part of or wanted to contribute to that, that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to look at the interior lives of these women. Um, And I feel that every step of the way, even the way that Christine works with the um, production designer, the sets, the everything, it felt mm, authentic. And that's so. how I think we can meet people with something that causes them to have a transcendent experience, a connection experience with God through the art, rather than um, a message that is trying to tell people what to think or how to react. Mm-hmm. Mm. So. Wow. No, it's so helpful. So helpful. And, and, you know, and I would, as, as a watcher, and I imagine this could resonate with you too, E, is that it didn't feel like a track. It didn't feel like, um, no, it didn't. right. It didn't, it didn't feel right. like a sermon. And I think in terms of the artistry, I mean, I just the character development and the story, um, you know, there were so many elements of it that I, you know, I would disagree with, or I, that would frustrate me. Um, but I still was drawn to more deeply understanding these women and how they understood God. And, you know, I, I ended it with, by thinking about, you know, you know, who is the God of the Clark sisters? Um, and it, it made me just kind of seek out this sense of how, how do they see who God is from scripture, from the lessons of their church, from their own struggles. And that certainly spoke to me about my own faith journey. So yeah, I, I would commend you, um, and all, and thank you for that. I think health, helpful way to think about, um, Christian vocation of, of filmmaking 
not as a sermon, right? But that you're doing something very different um, and a real blessing to many people. As as you think about the project now, um, so, you know, we know nothing about filmmaking or writing in that regard, but um, <laughs> but we do know what is entertaining and enjoyable. And um, <laughs> there, there were so many scenes of this movie that to me almost have like a, a uh, very different movie, but it reminds me of some of the other like black cult classics. So, oh, yeah. um, so oh, I think yeah. about a, you know Friday and there's mm-hmm. school days. School I mean, there's days. so many right, so many movies where like we can act out. I I feel like I can act out some scenes right now from right. this movie. But I've only seen <laughs> right. a couple of times at this point, and Same. I feel like I'm about to throw my shoe until you take right. off the gum. Um, <laughs> and so I'm wondering, from your your vantage point, are there are there certain scenes that you look at? as a fan, like with our perspective, um, that, that really resonate with you? Well, um, personally, um, as, as the architect of, um, directing each and every one of those scenes, it's like asking, which is, uh, your favorite child? Or what <laughs> we got, um, we got favorites. Yeah. <laughs> you just can't it. tell them that. Yeah, every scene where the girls are singing and every scene where Anjanue Ellis is in. But, you know, it's, yeah. it's like, I got uh, amazing. One of the greatest, honestly, compliments that I've gotten recently was uh, uh, I got a call from Billy Porter. Billy Porter is Tony winning actor from wow. Kinky Boots. He won oh, yeah, for yeah. Sure. an Emmy for Pose. Yeah. And so Billy and a group of his uh, musical theater friends uh, got on mm. a call with me. He reached out to me to call me on a Zoom call, and for the first thirty minutes, they just went off on how accurate this movie was. And Billy comes from the Church of God in Christ, and he yep. was like, mm. "You know, everything was just perfect." And the singing, you know, the choice to use raw mm. singer, it just resonated with them. And then they were like, "You know, mm. us to us, this is the new color purple." Mm. Uh, uh, wow! Mm-hmm. So that I was like, oh, okay, it's like so <laughs> people in a profound way above and beyond whatever I could imagine. So um, I just I like to look at it as a, a, a experience of totality and in totality. If it makes people feel the way that Billy Porter felt that he had to reach out to me to call me to let me know that this is a new color purple. I feel like okay, I love all of that, and right. uh, it's it's to to contribute to culture in that way. Um, hey, everything that I want to do, I want it to be a new classic. Wow, how about you, Absolutely. Camille? Do you any any favorites? <laughs> every favorite <laughs> scenes as the writer. <laughs> um, you know, and the script went through several revisions before it became sure. the final script, but. Um, I really loved writing the scene when the Clark sisters were awakened by their mom in the middle of the night to mm-hmm. sing. It showed partially like her music gen- musical genius. And as an artist, right. I can relate to those middle of the night inspiration, <laughs> getting up a new <laughs> script, a new scene, a new whatever. So also, but it just kind of showed how, you know, with art, I always say that artists born a border a line a little bit on um, craziness, <laughs> not not craziness like that, but you know, it becomes this passion that consumes you. So seeing how they also had that one voice, um, I believe in the um, script, one of the things I had originally termed was like family blend, but just how unique 
from a young age these girls are because there's something genetic or magical, not only in that their mother was working with them, but they all happen to sing different parts. First soprano, second soprano, you know, alto, tenor. How did God create mm-hmm. each sister to do that? Like, that's amazing right. to me. Right. And they have that family blend. That's what makes them so unique. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That scene was really important. I, I really loved um, the scene, um, not necessarily loved, but um, the scene where um, Denise uh, walks away from the group. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say sometimes right. when I'm writing, it, you don't love it, but you, I actually get emotional. Like I may start crying or I may get upset too. And that's when I know I'm sort of in the zone. I try to like take my temperature to see how am I feeling when I'm writing the scene. And I try to ask the characters to speak to me. Mm-hmm. Um, the other scene that really broke me, um, you know, in, at two in the morning, sitting on the computer by myself, mm-hmm. was the, after the funeral. Um, the funeral and after the funeral. And I noticed a lot of people commented on that scene, but um, there was uh, just because it was sort of like the last straw on the breaking of the family. Mm -hmm. And again, like I said, I come from a family of four and we're all Mm -hmm. very strong individuals. And to think of some of the storms that we've gone through in life and what I think hurt me or in writing the scene, but also I was like, I want to give this to the people is sometimes just those moments that feel inevitable. Like you wish you could do it back over or hindsight is twenty twenty, and you do right. want your, and you do want your family member, but there are some things that just kind of can, can, mm. can break in there. And mm. so those were some, and the one, if you notice like the beginning, they were together and they were one voice and they were yeah. um, having the family blend. And there was this special God connection between these sisters and then when you see the arc or what we call the growth or the change of the movie, mm-hmm. the family has come to the point when their mother, who was kind of the nexus of the family, is gone. And mm-hmm. then the, the daughters are kind of falling in, in disarray, you yes, know, yes. each having their own personal crisis. And that happens mm-hmm. to us in real life. And so that scene took a lot out of me um, mm-hmm. when I wrote that scene as well. So, yeah. Wow. Wow. Thank you for a good taking us. Yeah. Thank you for taking us through that journey though of just the process of how how you are feeling these emotions as you're writing it, right? Or it, yeah. it's keeping you up at night or you're writing at two AM and it's just you and the computer. Yeah. Um and Jesus, right? <laughs> and it's just like, yeah. all right, yeah. we're writing. It's it's such a lonely it can be a lonely process to be a writer, you know, and so cause you're you're working through the emotions and you're taking us on this ride, um, but you're not taking us on a ride that you haven't been on. Right. Um, and so yeah. I'm curious about the the ideation. Like how how does this movie or any movie, but particularly this movie, move from the ideation stage to uh, actually becoming a reality? Can you walk us through that? I'm curious about like what's the source material for uh, for for a movie like this for the Clark sisters? Like, how do you go from ideation to an actual reality bona fide? We are filming this movie and it's happening. Yeah. What does that look like? Let me speak on my part and then Christine may have a little bit more once it got um, to Lifetime and is about to go into production. So this film started, um, at least I started on the project in 2005. Um, Holly Carter, who's one of the executive producers and producers on the project, actually works with and manages the Clark sisters and Kira. And I think they were having conversations for a while, our lives need to be made into a movie. 
And Holly was looking for a writer and brought uh, myself and a friend on board, Sarah Finney Johnson. And we started researching. There was no source material. There was not a book or maybe necessarily like a newspaper article or anything or a biopic. We started researching the project. My own personal research process included going online, looking at their website, looking at their bios, going online, looking at clips of Dr. Maddie Moss Clark. She's such a strong and powerful person and woman and personality. So looking at her mannerisms, for me, it was important, even in every piece of dialogue, I wanted to try to catch her cadence, the way she talked, the way she moved, and try to bring that to the script. Um, So that was a part of my research process, but also meeting all of the Clark sisters um, mm. down at the Kojic convention in Nashville. Oh, come on. <laughs> wow. them with their, like? oh, my their hats and their, I mean, I felt like I was at a beauty pageant or something. The Clark sisters walked in, but um, they, they're so sweet. I mean, I know a lot of people, oh, even like when they came sweet. into the convention, you know, a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, the Clark sisters. But when you meet them, they're very down to earth and they were very, vulnerable and transparent during the writing process. Um, And um, flash forward to 2017, this project that we had been working on and doing what's called pitching, verbal pitching to production companies and networks, it never sold. Hmm. But when the Clark sisters performed on Queen Latifah's show, Holly met Queen Latifah and a conversation Mm. was sparked up and Queen Latifah came on board as a producer. And that was when a lot of the doors started to open. Mm. And so through Flavor Unit and uh, Releve, Dr. Carter's production company, they hired me. My friend could no longer continue. And I wrote the first drafts of the script um, that became so. And then it sold to Lifetime. So I think I don't know if, Christine, if you want to add anything from there. No, I think that's a pretty comprehensive um, history, I suppose, wow. as to how it got um, greenlit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, at that point, and that was why I was kind of teen it to her, you know, the director has to take the script and then actually bring it to what it is that's going to be on the screen. You know, mm-hmm. the script is like the blueprint, but yep. there are table reads, there are, you know, there's other things. So I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I got there. No, thank you for sharing that. You know, I, um, I, so let me tell you how I would feel about this. I, I, I think I would be a bit anxious about presenting the story of people who are alive (laughs) and, um, and especially about, you know, pieces that were happening inside their home and, um, tensions that may, uh, may even still exist now. Um, and I mean, I feel like that it was handled with so much, um, with authenticity, but dignity. Um, uh, it, it was not exploitive. And I think there is, there certainly are many times, particularly when our stories and stories of women of color, um, where we can be staged as, as um, in a very caricatured way. And I just felt like there was so much dignity, even in the dysfunction <laughs> that I was like, I think this is crazy what's happening right here. Um, and I just, I really appreciate your thoughtfulness, both of you in, in your work on this project. It was definitely for the culture. Um, I, I was, but I was, I was curious about the decisions that people make kind of in their interpretive role. Right. So I imagine, right. These are scenes that some 
exactly some happened and some didn't. And they're telling a story where some people are centered and some people aren't centered. Um, like, so there's a brother who's not in it, or um, I'm sure there's Denise, Denise's thoughts about the story as well. And so I was just curious about from, from your vantage point, how do you make those interpretive decisions? How do you steward those well? Well, um, what I don't know if people understand or realize is that a uh, um, story takes on a life of its own. And um, stories to me mm-hmm. are living organisms that um, have to be fed in specific ways, depending on what the needs are. So when the writing process and the you know producing process happens, that's always done without um, typically a director um, brought on or even the um, actors. So there's a huge component of storytelling that is devoid in the process of development. You know, mm-hmm. so it's it's like a story. Um, a story's broken up in in three parts. You know, like like we we as spirit, we as human beings we're we're made up in three parts. You know, there's the the body there's the spirit and there's the soul, right? So in many ways, storytelling also takes on three parts. And that part is the writing, the directing, and the editing. And each phase of that uh, storytelling process um, takes on its own kind of mechanisms. And um, it's a very collaborative medium where you need, I need hundreds of people to, to put this story together. And um, it's like cooking, you know, and at any given time, like you just put on a little bit of this and then right here, though, this time we need more of that, you know. So that's that to me is how the process of putting a story um, in terms of a film comes together. And a lot of people partake in that process. And my job as a director is really to tease out the things that I feel are going to work and um, push the story in the right direction. So that's that's par for the course, you know, when you're making films. Mm-hmm. Something that really struck me as pretty profound in the process of telling this story was was the casting of Anjanou Ellis and the oh, casting wow. okay. of the singers. Like, so I felt like those two elements that, you know, no one could foresee in a development process, mm-hmm. like the defining ingredients mm-hmm lifted the story up in the ways that it is shining even, yeah. even today right. are talking ad nauseum about um ingenue ellis's performance yep. and ad yep. nauseum about the singing that was yeah. produced by yes. the prolific donald lawrence so mm-hmm. um, you could not foresee that when it was being developed right. but that is that's where a story can take life mm-hmm. uh, in the next phase of it, you know, mm. and to me as a director, it's, it's, it's always, um, it's, it's fun, but it's all, it's a discovery process that okay. I wish because you don't know what all those agree ingredients are mm. all the time. But as you see the specific ingredients come together, it's, it's like, Oh, that's the joy that's leading this, this film. And let yeah. me keep pushing it in the right direction and again, Anjanou Ellis was really, to me, the backbone of why the story yes. is so prolific. Yeah. Because uh, without mm-hmm. 
that is, is she was like the anchor, so to speak, in in what we see in the storytelling. Yeah. And she just made everybody better. She made everybody better, including myself. Mm. So um, that you, that's a dream come true to work with yeah. uh, someone of that genius caliber. Yeah. And, and then whose total agenda is not self-driven, mm-hmm. but is service-driven. Mm. Like, and that's what, and that's what Andre and I, we'd be, every day we'd be like, we want to make sure we get this right mm-hmm. for right. the sisters. Come mm-hmm. on. Yeah. Was she, yeah, I was going to say, was she, she paralleled the, um, the excellence of her character, right? So mm-hmm. um, she then, embodied Maddie, uh, not only bringing her to life for us, but that, that ethic and also you know, just the gift to be able to recognize other gifts in people and pull it out even beyond where they're ready to go at the moment, pulling it out mm. beyond their insecurities, pouring, pulling it out beyond their fears. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, the, the parallel between the actress and the character is just, it, it was striking. It was striking. Wow. Mm-hmm. And it was striking as it was unfolding every day in front of us. Mm. And it just really inspired all of us to just, you know, aim higher and to show up and show out. And, and again, wow. I felt like, the magic was happening as it was unfolding. Never, not once, um, again, thought about the outcome. It wasn't mm. that. You just have to be in that moment and and shape the storytelling until the very, very end. And how mm. people respond to that is none of our business. Yeah. Until it is. Until we're... <laughs> and now we can talk. And, and unpack it. Right, you know? right. Yeah. Let, me just, let me just add something too. And sure. I know I'm being mindful of time, but um, yeah, yeah. to what Christine said, and thank you for Christine. I totally applaud that so mm. much. Um, and Christine has even said, she was like, this should have been a mini series. Yes, um, that's a what we lot said. of people <laughs> felt, well, oh, we, yes. well, there you go. A lot of people name us. The only one. <laughs> a lot I'm of people name too stable. No. <laughs> You ain't the only one. Um, but I, I remember having that those conversations with her. So, I mean, on the artistic side, I think, you know, hey, you guys aren't alone. Mm. Um, but originally in the original script, which was written as a feature theatrical release, because release, it was, you know, the idea was not necessarily like a made-for-TV when it was first written, there were scenes of the brother um, there were other scenes, there were other scenes that showed kind of oh, even wow, how okay. the Clark sisters used to perform locally around yeah, okay. town uh, before they even got known. There were scenes like that. Um, there were a lot of, um, there were scenes when um, Dorinda was um, contemplating suicide, even right. scenes that showed a little bit before the motivation, what happened that kind mm-hmm. of sent her to that mm-hmm. place. And also even a conversation with her and her sister, Jackie, about mental health and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, Jackie saying to get help and just like a whole thing about mental health in the black community and in the black church. There was a conversation about that. Wow. And so um, but when you have, I guess, what's an hour and a half or so movie on a TV network where there has to be room for commercial spots, a lot of that gets cut out. Right. So I did want to acknowledge that. But I do want to also say this for some people, which I thought it was kind of interesting, like, well, you never I saw some comments. You never showed the brother Leo column maybe once at the funeral. But really, honestly, this was Mm -hmm. the Clark sisters story. Mm -hmm. It was a story of them and their mother and their journey. And you have to when you're writing or trying to even conceive a story before you pass it on to the production team 
you have to know what point of view you're telling the story from. Mm. And so our homage to Dr. Maddie Moss Clark was to look at the lives of the sisters through the lens of the mother so that the story did not feel like it was Jackie's story or Dorinda's story or Twinkie's story, like in particular. Mm -hmm. It was very hard when you have like five or six protagonists, you know? Mm -hmm. Normally you have one main character you're trying to deal with. So we struggled Mm -hmm. with that as well, just to let Mm -hmm. you know. And that was kind of where where we came and everybody was really happy when we came up with that uh, point of view, the lens through which we would look at their lives and try to touch on each one of them. But I remember um, conversation Christine and I were even having, Christine was like, there should have been a night for each sister, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So, hey, more budget, more money. There would have been a lot of interesting things. But that was was our (laughs) workaround for what we had, which was an hour and a half made for TV film. And how do you tell this great story? Yeah, y'all told yeah. it. Y'all told y'all the story. Told it. I wish <laughs> yeah. I wish they would have given y'all um two hours. I mean, for goodness sakes, why not? So <laughs> <laughs> it was really good, y'all. I mean, you all you created an instant um cult classic. You you really did. I was like, if I could own this, get a DVD of this, yeah, I'm like, yes, I would get a DVD of this stuff. You know, oh, or Blu-ray, whatever it is. But you know, we have we haven't recorded, we just rewatch it. And so, but we've been, we've really been enjoying it. And thank you for a- actually ask, answering the question I was going to ask you was about mm-hmm. like what was left on the cutting room floor. Like you know, you wish you could have included that. So thank you for answering that the question I didn't even ask. You know, um, uh, so I'm curious. Uh, just one more question. Um, I and I don't know if this is going to be controversial, but I'm just curious about if you all know about how uh, Denise received um, or felt about the movie. I don't know if you've gotten any feedback. I'm just curious about uh, how she felt about the movie. If you know, if you if you've gotten any feedback from her, you don't know Denise, so I don't. Mm. Um, and yeah, let me, I'll say this and then I don't, we can, I, there might be anything more you might want to ask before it's over. Um, I, so I, I have seen some things on YouTube, um, about like Denise's reactions to the film, but what I'd oh, like okay. to say as the writer is that, um, I actually spoke with, um, Dr. Denise Clark Bradford about oh, five wonderful. times wow. during the journey. And a lot of people right. have a little misconception um, so she was reached out to the producer, mm-hmm. um, provided me with her cell phone number. We talked a number of times we texted. Um, mm-hmm. I will say it was not the same level of, of a collaborative relationship as the other sure. sisters. Sure. But, um, but when I spoke to her, I'm like, I'm the screenwriter. I want to get, I want to hear your story. I want to hear your point of view. And we did have an, uh, several conversations. Yeah. Um, oh, so great. she was reached out to, and a lot of people think that she wasn't. So I do want to clarify. Yeah, that. right. Thank, thanks for taking the opportunity to just add to whatever pieces you you wanted to add to. So yeah. thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. And now, y'all, please, um, Christine and Camille, please um, let our our um, sisters at the table know how they can what what up. Uh, coming projects you have um, going on that you can announce um, um, and how they can follow your work and, and just support uh, uh, what you do. Uh, I'm, I'm on, you know, all platforms as C Swanson 44. And um, mm-hmm. um, a lot of people have approached me about directing their scripts and um, 
some biopics, other biopics have come my way. And um, as, I, as I said in the opening, I just really like to see like what I'm supposed to do as right. opposed to being busy with um, busy work. Because um, again, part of living the life as an, as an artist is, is to also have the space to think and process right. Right. And, and have something to contribute. So mm. I'm kind of weighing all those options out right now and, and trying to make sure that it works in alignment with um, my, my family goals. I have four children, ages 11, wow. 15, 17, and 19. Come on, come on. And I very much am a part of their lives. And, and so mm-hmm. like, what do I want to do that, um, you know, suits my lifestyle, you know, in a way that um, I can contribute to storytelling um, in, in, this, in this way and on this level, um, creating new classics. So... Um, I'm working on a few things and, you know, it's always about getting the right setup, financing, you know, what outlet and things like that. So we shall see what will happen and um, hopefully more of the same, but better. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Yes. How about you, Camille? (laughs) Thanks. Um, So on social media, I'm Camille Tuck with no K. Um, on Instagram and Facebook and on Twitter, I'm script lit chick. But anyway, I actually have been hired to write another biopic. This was something that was sort of in the works before. It's about an African-American male figure. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't say who right now, um, but I will say I'm, I feel really great about this because Mm. it's something where as an, as a black woman um, being hired to write something that would maybe traditionally be seen as a very male script. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm, I'm excited that the producers thought about that and invited me into the process. Mm. I am also shopping some of my own projects. I have a script called Blessed in the City, which mm-hmm. is my answer to Sex in the City. Come on. Come on. <laughs> it's about women of color and women of faith, but it's dating without sex instead of with a lot of sex. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> it's wow. loosely based on my journey of my friends mm-hmm. and I when we mm-hmm. made a commitment to date sexually abstinent. Um mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so it's a passion project I've had for a while Hmm. and I'm shopping that as well as a TV project called the Kennedys of Compton, which is Mm -hmm. loosely based on my family. Um, and it's a fictionalized, uh, TV series, think Greenleaf, but in the world of politics. Mm. Wow. Love it. About a black political dynasty in Compton. Yes. How original. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> but that's what's going on with me. Yeah, that blessing blessings on both of you and on your work and just yeah, that the Lord would continue to open up doors and shut doors. <laughs> um Come on, right? and and uh have you exactly where you need to be. And so yeah, you've definitely blessed us with this recent project. And it sounds like other projects that you've been a part of too that we've we've encountered and did not know. So thank you so much for joining us. Yes, yes. Hey, and oh go ahead, Christine. No, I'm just I'm just happy to be a part of the conversation. Awesome. Yeah. And awesome. um you sisters are amazing, dynamic. Mm. Um I love the um social and theological discourse that you're having and thank you so much. Um it's great great to get to know you and I'd like to stay in touch. 
Of course. Thank you so we, much. Of Our course, pleasure. We thank you. We thank you, Camille. We thank you, um, Christine. Um, and of course, thank you, sisters, for sitting at the table with us. Let's keep the conversation going. Tweet us your thoughts about Behind the Movie, the Clark Sisters, First Lady of Gospel, um, using the hashtag Truth Table. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Truth Table or email us your thoughts at asktruthstable at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes and subscribe on your favorite podcast player. Truth Table has a Patreon account now, so y'all can send your love offerings to patreon.com slash truthstable, or you can bless us at our PayPal, which is paypal.me slash truthstable. Truthstable is made possible in part by Pottery Studios. Visit pottery.com for the highest in quality online audio entertainment. Our producer for the show is Joshua Heath. Our executive producer is Bo York, and we have been your hosts, Kemini, Michelle, and Christina. We'll see you soon on the next Truth Table. Bye, y'all.